I think one of the greatest lines of that song is, is that no matter what comes our way, we can sing hallelujah. The word hallelujah just means praise Yahweh, the praise to the one God, one true God. And so no matter what it is, what is you, you're going through, we can still sing and praise our God today. We can have that hallelujah feeling, the hallelujah thing that just permeates our soul, and it comes out in all we say, all we do. So whatever it is you're facing today, may you still be able to say, to God be the glory. We're going to go back old school from the newest song, maybe out there today, to one of the oldest here this morning.
God, your faithfulness, your love, your mercy, your kindness. God, it just overflows. And God, we praise you for that this morning. God, you are the great and mighty God, the almighty one. We honor you with everything we have. In the mighty name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. Thanks for worshiping with us in song. Uh, Andy Z, you are the announcement guy this morning. Next Sunday, 1126, right after church, uh, we'll be decorating the church for Christmas. So please stick around, help out, socialize. It's always a good time. Uh, birthdays and anniversaries. Are there any birthdays and anniversaries in the house today? We got one over here. Is it Don's birthday? Happy birthday, Don. And and Miss Linda is on the 22nd. Is it, that's Wednesday, right? <laughs> All right. Any, anyone else? We got one over here? Yeah, back here in the back. Friday birthday, and then tomorrow, another birthday. Wow, popular month. What happened in November? Yeah, I don't know. So, okay. And then... Uh, there's a ministry highlight going to be later on. on the, I just want to make sure there's somebody here to give that presentation, and then I don't have to say anything. So <laughs> anybody else, anything else for the good of the order? All right. Carry on. All right. Well, at this time, there is a – are we going to do the ministry highlight? Is that the, the plan? or? Yeah, who is the ministry highlight? Someone said there was one. Yes, thank you. I didn't get the cue on who it was, but, yes, it was the tree, that ministry giving tree. Come on up, Patty. And uh, microphone, microphone. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, he is loud enough. But just <laughs> makes me really nervous. <laughs> you're, you're good. All right. I, I have to count on my piece of paper here. All right. Our, my ministry highlight is the annual giving tree. And I'm going to start with a little story from my life. My dad put on siding and roofing for a living when I grew up. I was eight, and it was my mom's birthday, and she got a call saying my dad fell off a barn roof, and he was in serious condition. Some of my memories of that time were that he was in the hospital a long time. He had to learn to walk and talk again, and that we were very gracious to all the family, friends, and our church family for helping us and praying for us through this difficult time. They took my brother, sister, and I, and they were like young teenagers, <laughs> into their homes, they brought meals for us and helped us wherever they could during the holidays that year since money was tight because my parents couldn't work. For the rest of my childhood, I watched my parents help out others. In the time of need, and my dad was extremely thankful to live to be an 81-year-old. We lost him this year. After his doctor told my mom he wouldn't live to be an old man, that was kind of his joke, I'm not an old man. <laughs> they told me I wasn't going to live. Therefore... One of the ways you can demonstrate our love for the Lord is to be compassion, compassionate and caring towards those who encounter what uh, those people who encounter hardships on earth. Even small gestures can mean a great deal throughout someone's life. So the ministry highlight of the giving tree, we have the giving tree set up outside in the foyer, and it has 16 numbers and um, children on it. And we are hoping to um, provide some type of gift for them over the holidays. 
So there's a sign-up sheet over on the table, and there's some envelopes. If you pick an ornament off the tree, the envelope gives you some ideas of what you could purchase for that child. Um, those are only some ideas. You, you don't have to buy all of them. Some of them have pretty long lists. <laughs> um, and just please write your name down on the piece of paper next to the tree or next on the table and the ornament you took. If you have any questions, you can ask the warden or myself. We're kind of heading it up this year. And we need the gifts by um, the 17th. So the 18th, they can be delivered to the schools. And then we just ask that you put the ornament on the present so we know who to give it to. So I'm going to end with Hebrews 13, 16. It says, don't forget to be good and to share what you have because God is pleased with those kinds of sacrifices. Thank you. Thanks, Patty. Uh, at this time, we're going to have a very special announcement of CN, if you would come on up. Um, I was introduced to this uh, ministry through another relationship, through Kim Swenson, who's over there, um, who you're going to hear from speaking next Sunday um, for the Thanksgiving weekend. And so he and I were talking back uh, earlier this fall, and the passion for uh, ministry in this Northwoods region, and I want to steal Sue Ann's thunder, so I just want to... Uh, pass it on to her because he says she's got the, the vision and then there's a lot of great things happening. And she and I met probably 15 years ago and it's been about that long since I've seen her again. So welcome again. Uh, looking forward to hearing about with this new opportunity in ministry. You can sit. Yeah, you're right here. Um, and then I'd like to pray for you at the end if that's okay. All right, thanks. All right, is this my time? Yes. I'll take care. Um, oh, yeah, start my timer because I can keep talking and so I don't want to go too long. <laughs> Okay, so yes, my name is Sue Ann Vanatter. My husband, Randy Vanatter, is in the back. So um, I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I work out in Life of Lambeau and been there since 2019. I am a tribal member. I was in foster care as a baby, um, born to alcoholic parents and uh, in Chicago area. Divinely, God allowed I and my older brother to be sent to a, another reservation um, on the Stockbridge Reservation to... Um, parents who were Native. They were Christian. They were World War II veterans. My mom was a Marine. My dad, Army and Air Force. So I grew up in a very stable, rigid, <laughs> kind of uh, consistent household, which was exactly probably what my brain needed. Um, to, and God knew that. Uh, I met my uh, birth father, who was English, Danish, Irish. So I wouldn't exist if uh, Europe didn't come on over to this land. So I'm grateful um, not happy that the tribes lost a lot of their identity and culture in the process. My husband, Randy, he's a lot of Norwegian, makes lapsa, a restaurant owner in uh, Tomahawk, which is ending December 2nd, so he'll be more available to be a part of this ministry. So the issues, I see them every day. I work with people every day, I, um, teens up through adults, a lot of alcohol abuse, drug addictions, um, homelessness, uh, children raised by grandparents, aunties, uncles, um, people go in and out of jail, prison, treatment, homeless. Homeless in the Northwoods doesn't mean they're like on the streets. That means they're in somebody's house, in somebody's couch, in somebody's basement. We have people who camp in the summer in tents, and then they find couches and places for others. We have people in campers who heat with these very dangerous little propane-type heaters in their little campers. Um, so 
where do they go? This is what happens. That's why the cycles continue. They have no place to go when they get out. Families are hopeful. Their, their loved ones are sober. They've been doing good. They get out with all kinds of hope. And then they go right back into the environment that they came from because there, there is nothing else in the Northwoods for them. Um, we see a lot of suicides, overdoses, um, crime, death, purposeful with suicides, accidental with the addition of fentanyl that came into the Northwoods. Um, just buried a niece this last Wednesday. She was 46, leaving six kids um, caught in the world of addiction. Uh, another beautiful young lady, 19, just dabbling into the world of drugs uh, where fentanyl was mixed in. She worked at Fair Brew Coffee. Um, you may have seen a little table out there that her coworkers had put out for her and stuff. Just lots of sad uh, uh, deaths in the community. So, oh, where am I pointing? Oh, hang on. The answer. Jesus, right? So this is one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. I can work with people, and I can introduce Jesus because um, he is the only hope. He's the only lasting hope. And um, I just wanted to do more. So I, as I prayed to God, like, what more can I do? As people come into my office and leave, just praying, Lord, I, I want to do more than one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so it started with Pastor Kim Swenson, who had a, God gave him a vision for finding the Native believers in Lac de Flambeau, and, um, which was already a miracle, because I know people get called to distant lands and countries, and I see your world map. I have not known anyone where God gave a vision and a calling to Flambeau. <laughs> and I was like, are you sure? It's like, it's, it's Flambeau. <laughs> I was like, I know I am, but that's part of my bloodline. So I'm like, this is awesome. And so he found me, and we're finding other Native believers, and God opened this building for us to uh, rent. And so um, we call it The Gathering at LDF. Mom, again, is Ojibwe for gathering. People gathering together to grow in their faith in Jesus. We start with a light meal Sunday evenings. Relationships is what it's about, right? We start with relationships. Next, bigger, is trying to deal with all these issues that I had listed in previous slides, right, is hopefully a transitional living center. So that would be long-term, like a year, year and a half possibly. We visited a couple different places, the Wausau Transformational Living Center, Gospel TLC. They um, just started. I know Pastor Kim's on the board of that. That would be a model for us. Um, also, the Hayward House of Hope is another small, uh, newer one, maybe a few years old. This is where my nephew went. My brother passed away um, years ago when he was about 12 or 13. He was a pallbearer um, for his dad and my brother, who was adopted with me. And um, he got into a world of drugs and alcohol, and August was a year um, that he went into this house of hope in Hayward, and he is born again, Christian, saved, um, training in ministry, so he can go back into the jails. Um, I tease him from the free side of the bars this time to minister to others. And so there's the hope, and that's the example that I want to offer to others as well. Um, so what would this place be? These are my dreams and prayers and wishes. We don't have a leadership team yet. We don't have a board of directors, but this is my heart, so I share that. Um, 
I was thinking First Native because that's my heart, but part of the issue up in the Northwoods is there's a lot of animosity and division between the Native community and the non-Native community. And going through perspectives and learning about cross-cultural ministry, and I really believe healing could come to the neighboring communities through a facility that would reach out to both Native and non-Native. Because if we can get people saved and loving each other, that will have a ripple effect into their families and to the community as well. Ah, this is a property that the Lord um, allowed my husband and I to purchase. It's right on the edge of the reservation. It's 40 acres of wooded land, so we are offering that as an opportunity, whether that would be a new building or you tear it down and that's all our gardening area or equine therapy or raising chickens for meat and chicken for eggs and whatever, so that's an option that we have available. We also would love to see um, a coffee house ministry. That would be kind of the face of the ministry that would also offer a place for community people to gather, the two neighboring communities to gather, um, no alcohol, just safe. Um, and then possibly all the goods that would be baked and uh, cooked because my husband has his culinary gifts that he could teach. We would sell it there and that would also provide income as well. Uh, we have a corner lot, just as you're going into Flambeau, if you know Flambeau, before the school. Um, so that's a really key spot. Next steps. I went way over. You were supposed to wave at me. I went over. Sorry. Um, we need prayer. It's a spiritual battle, right? It is a spiritual battle. The enemy wants to destroy lives. And people are dying. So time is of the essence, I believe. And so after church, um, Randy and I will be probably over there somewhere. We'll have a handout. I'd love to get your name, contact, if you're interested. And then um, I will let you know when we're going to meet and gather and find people that God are raising up for this. So thank you. That was perfect. That's good. Wasn't that worth hearing? That was awesome, wasn't it? Well, let's just pause to pray and... Uh, lift this whole ministry up. Father God, I just thank you for your, your love and your heart for people. And God, when there seems to be no way, you make a way. And God, I thank you, Lord, for the vision. Uh, Lord, for, for Flambeau, I thank you, Lord, for him. I thank you for CNN and the vision of uh, she and her husband, Randy, I pray, Lord, that you would go before them. I pray, Lord, that you would open up just incredible favor in that community. I pray, Lord, for, uh, for not just prayer support, I, which I pray for. I pray for financial support for those who will be willing to serve. And I pray, Lord, for those within that community, uh, within Flambeau, Lord, that they would rise up, that you would call them to you, and they would take roles of leadership in these areas. And we just pray, God, that your hand would be upon this entire thing, Lord, and that the, the people of Flambeau would know that Jesus loves them. We just thank you, Lord, for that. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll take that. Well, awesome. Um, yes. All righty, at this time, we're going to transition to our offering time. And so as the video is played, uh, trays will be passed.
entering the week of Thanksgiving. I pray that you'll have opportunity to pause and reflect and offer your thanks to God, but also you know being thankful for others and expressing your thankfulness to others as well. Um, do we have children's ministry today? I don't know if we clarified that. Was it a yes or a no? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, so at this time we're going to have the adults stand and greet one another here this morning.
can just find your way back to your spots again. So good to have you all here this Sunday before Thanksgiving. If you have any time off this week, I hope you get to enjoy time with friends or family, or if you have family coming in, or if you're going out to see family, or, you know, safe travels on both directions, and um, you're able to do a quick trip to pick up our daughter from college on Friday, who's doing the sound today, or the computer back there today. She'll be here for a week, and we'll be taking her back after church next Sunday. Um, and so just, it's that season. It's so good to reconnect with people as well. But just thanks for being here this morning. Um, we're going to start a an unusual series. It's a six-weeks, a six-week Christmas series. And there's four primary Sundays in December leading up to Christmas, and there's one after that on the 31st. So there's five, plus this one here makes six. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to have a Thanksgiving uh, message that Pastor Kim's going to give for us, and I'll be leading worship that Sunday, and Kim's going to speak for us. Uh, but this is going to start off this Christmas series. And then I, I found this graphic, and I thought this would be a really neat depiction of where we're going over the next six weeks. And uh, the original title and the original title of our series, I put in, the, in your notes and all that. I've changed it since Thursday. I was like, had this epiphany over the weekend. I'm like, oh, wait, you know, I should do this thing and call it God in a Manger. And then every week, just change the word at the front, you know, purpose in a manger, hope in a manger, love in a manger, joy in a manger, peace in a manger, and all that. And so we're going to go through these things that Christ came to provide in this moment that we all know so well. All right? But before we get to that moment, we're going to go back in time in the story a little bit, and we're going to do kind of a preamble to the Christmas story. We're not quite into December yet, so that makes sense. We're going to do a preamble to the Christmas story um, and we're going to call it Purpose in a Manger. And I want to start us off by asking this question. Were we as human beings originally designed and created to simply go through the motions in life? No. You and I, humanity was created and designed to thrive for our lives to have purpose, meaningful purpose. Very specifically, to reflect the image of God in every single area of our lives. So we need to ask, then why do we feel so often that we are going through the motions? All right, let's be honest. We all feel sometimes that we're just like kind of on a giant hamster wheel, right? Anybody ever been there where you feel like just kind of going through this whole thing here? Like spending a lot of energy but feeling like you're going nowhere? Where you have dreams, you have hopes that were once alive and, and are long since gone? Where, where work for you becomes just simply punching the clock? And where even maybe uh, your church connection and what you do as a church becomes a ritual or simply routine, just simply going through the motions. And it can even bleed over into your family. And all you begin to do in every single area of your life, it seems like you just begin to simply exist or just to survive. Now, if anyone ever felt that way, 
you're in good company. Especially with those in first century Israel and the Jewish people of that time. See, some 400 years prior to the first century, the presence of God physically left the Holy of Holies inside their temple, inside their place of worship. And ever since then, they had been waiting. Imagine, up to that point, having real encounters with the living God, at least through their priestly system. And then all of a sudden, God was no longer there, but they kept going through the motions as if He was. 400 years of going through the motions as if God was still there. Religiously, as a society, as individuals. And here's why that you see in the height of one of their worst moments in the events in the years surrounding the Babylonian captivity, God made a promise that His very presence would return to His temple and that His kingdom would be fully established and that God's people would be fully restored, which is why they kept going through the motions, because one day maybe God would just come right back to that same location. But they didn't realize that as the story began to play out, that God never intended to come back to a physical building. God intended to come into the temple of our hearts. And that's where it actually turned out to be. But on this end, on this side of that equation, before the Holy Spirit came and began to dwell within us, the people were just assuming that's what was going to happen that God's presence was going to come back to this physical building called the temple. And the people then, that, 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 that God would restore, they knew it would extend beyond Israel. And as the Holy Spirit began to do this work in us, it would extend to the entire human race, who whatever would see their need to both repent and resurrender to God's plan that would now be fulfilled in this God in a manger, in the person of Jesus Christ. But at this stage of the plan, they had no idea what the fulfillment of those promises meant, right? Or what they would look like specifically. However, they did know, they did have this piece of the equation figured out. This is something that their prophets had talked about. That one individual called the Messiah or the Christ would bring this to pass. But before that, they knew that it would be a forerunner. Someone who would come before the Messiah. Someone who would prepare the way for the next phase of God's plan. Someone resembling and would have the authority of the prophet Elijah. And when that individual finally arrived, it would be like a single drop of rain on a sun, on a sun-scorched earth. It was the sign that all was about to follow was going to be in God's plan. Hope would be reignited. Purpose would be restored. Once they knew who this forerunner was, they knew it was just about time for the Messiah to show up as well. Who would this forerunner be? Well, would you take a look at our scripture here this morning from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. During the time, of, during the time Herod ruled Judea, 
uh, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to Abijah's group. Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, came from the family of Aaron. And Zechariah and Elizabeth truly did what God said was good, for they were righteous. They did everything the Lord commanded and were without fault in keeping his law. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not have a baby, and both of them were very old. Now, this gives us a timeline, because we know that King Herod ruled Judea from roughly 37 B.C. to about 4 B.C. This would probably have been closer to the end of Herod's rule, so closer to that 4 B.C. timeline. We also get introduced to the two key people in this story, a priest named Zechariah and then his wife, Elizabeth. And we learn a few things about them. One, that they are faithful, they are righteous, and they loved God with everything that they had. They had been serving Him every way that they knew how. And two, they did so in spite of personal disappointment, loss, and heartache. They were both now well along in years, and they didn't have any children, we find out. So they had no heirs. They had no one to take care of them. In the minds of the ancient Jews, children were a sign of God's favor, His blessing, which they are. But Jewish culture also taught, unfortunately, this other downside, that that those without children, those who could not conceive specifically, were somehow not blessed by God, that God was somehow punishing them for some reason. So anybody in that context, like Elizabeth and Zechariah were, were treated with disgrace and shame by others in their community. And yet, in spite of that, in spite of their personal disappointment, loss, and heartache, they were faithful. They were righteous. They kept doing the things they knew they were supposed to do, and they loved God with everything that they had. Um, They continued to serve God faithfully. See, Zechariah had a very important job. He was, again, a priest of Israel. But, like, what does that mean? He was one of 18,000 other priests in Israel at this time. That 18,000 then gets divided into 24 divisions. And they mention the division here. A priest's main duty was to serve at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem... But with so many divisions and so many priests within each division, they had to divide out the responsibilities, right? So twice a year, for one week, from Sabbath to Sabbath, if you were the priest, you would come down, do your temple duties, then go back home until the next time. And while you were there, usually serving as a teacher within your local community. And when it was your division's turn in Jerusalem, there were those special duties assigned to those who would go inside the temple, all the way into the holy place, right up into the Holy of Holies. But that was only going to be a select few. All 18,000 were not going to get a chance to do this. And it was decided by lot who would get to go and who would not get to go that particular year. These were duties you were only chosen once in your entire career if you ever had the opportunity to do it. And that takes us to verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his group was on duty, right? His group was there. 
according to the custom of the priests, he was chosen. He, Zechariah, was chosen by lot to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And there were a great many people outside praying at the time the incense was offered. Now, now who knows how many times over the span of his life and his career that he did the minor stuff. He did the, the, the stuff around the temple, but he never got the opportunity to do this very special thing. He would do the simple stuff along the outside, and then he would go home. However, this time was different. The lot fell upon him. There was a divine orchestration going on behind the scenes. It'd be like if you basically drawing straws, and who draws the short straw gets to go in. And we, we might think that this is a random choice, but this is something very specific in the Scriptures. In the book of Proverbs, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. See, it may have looked like a random chance or a random choice, but it was really God's sovereign choice. And God's timing was perfect. He could have had this done when he was in his 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Now he's probably in his 80s or beyond. But God's timing was perfect. Zechariah was God's man, and the time was now. So he goes in to do his part of lighting the incense while the people were outside praying, praying for that one day that God would return to his temple. That's what the Jews would do. They would gather around as the priests would go in to do their duty. One day you're going to come back to this place, and we're all going to rejoice and have a great time. But the Messiah would come, and, and then be, it was going to start this whole train into this new future. People are outside praying. Zachariah is inside. This is what happens. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing on the right side of the incense table. And when he saw the angel, Zechariah was startled and frightened. But the angel said to him, Zechariah, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to a son, and you will name him This was no longer Zechariah going through the motions. This was a divine encounter. 400 years of silence is broken in a moment. And the first thing God wanted to say was something very personal. He didn't come in with fanfare and saying, you know, God's plan is coming through, man, look out. He goes, Zechariah, i got something personal to tell you. God has heard your prayers. God has been listening. God has seen your hurt. He knows what you've been through. He and Elizabeth have been praying for years to have children. A prayer he probably stopped praying long ago now because of his age. But the angel says, Zechariah, those prayers were not in vain. You may have stopped praying them, but they have been Folks, there may be prayers that you have prayed for a marriage, for a wayward child, for lots of things. And maybe it's been so long that you maybe have stopped praying for them. 
But if you learn something from this passage, God has never forgotten. He may not answer them in the timing or in the way that you were actually hoping for or that you were expecting. But God has never forgotten a single prayer that you have ever prayed. And for them, in God's grace, they were going to have a child, a son, that they would name John. Now we know this John later on in life as John the Baptist. Or John the Baptizer, as some would call him. He is the cousin of Jesus. And then the angel goes on, verse 14. He will bring you joy and gladness, and many people will be happy because of his birth. And John will be a great man for the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer, not because wine or beer was bad or evil. It was just because it was part of the Levites' uh, thing. And they had a very specific thing. If you were going to go into the temple, they couldn't partake in any fermented drink. And then for very specific tasks, like John was being assigned, there was something higher than that, and they, they weren't even allowed to have it their entire life. So they knew this was something really unique, something very special, very something targeted to what kind of a person John was going to be. And even from birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is like every parent's dream, right? I mean, they're thinking, phew, don't have to worry about John getting smashed on Friday nights. You know, it's like, that's, that's good to know. Um, and then the angel says next, it combines their personal story. He, he, he brings their personal story of everything they've gone through and they prayed for, and now it's going to be the fulfillment of. He brings that story into God's overarching redemptive story. See, God often works out the specifics of his larger unfolding plan through answering the prayers and meeting the needs of hurting, broken individuals. Just like you. Just like me. And the people that God touches then through you and I. But folks, you have to have a bigger vision in order to see it. That, that God's blessings to you are not just for you, but are meant to be part of a greater plan of accomplishing God's kingdom mission. And for them, this promised child answers two prayers at the same time, right? It answered the prayer of Zechariah and, and Elizabeth personally, but it, it is also to inaugurate or kick off the final phase of God's redemptive plan that everyone outside was praying for. Zechariah had just been given the personal peace. But now the language changes as we'll see here. This is much bigger. Verse 16. And the angel continues, He will help many people of Israel return to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord in spirit and in power like, oh, guess what? Elijah. He will make peace between parents and their children and will bring those who are not obeying God back to the right way of thinking to make a people ready for the coming of the Lord. This is the forerunner. This is that drop of rain. This is the beginning of all the prophetic prophecies that were coming true. This is the forerunner that they have all been waiting for. It's going to be their son. And in this son, John the Baptist would be this forerunner. 
Not that, that Zechariah or Elizabeth would be around by the time that John was doing his ministry based upon their age. But at this point, who cared? Zechariah got to personally live to see the day when the new era at least had begun. So, okay, you just got given this great information, right? What would be Zechariah's reaction? What do you think it would be? Do you think he'd be excited? Do you think he'd be overjoyed like, woohoo? Um, let's see what happens in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, um, how can I know that what you say is true? Like, I'm an old man and my wife is old too. Okay, so not so excited. <laughs> right? Maybe even a little doubtful. Maybe a little fearful. And rather than just trust God, this is what we all do, like we had been doing up to this point, right? We've been trusting God all the way up to this part of the, his life and his story. He gets right up to here. The angel's telling him all this, and he goes, yeah, I don't know. How's this going to happen? I, I need you to give me a sign. Can, can you get what? How can I be sure? I love the fact that Scripture is so real. That, that, that even godly people have questions. That even godly people who have been faithful to God their entire life sometimes have doubts. But the angel is like, okay, you want a sign? Here you go. Verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time, they will indeed happen. Dr. Al, you want a sign? Here's your sign. Like, wait a minute, I changed my mind, right? <laughs> like, okay, I get it, all right, I, you're serious, uh, let me just, and I'm sure as he was trying to say it, he's like, <laughs> great. Now he doesn't get a chance to talk for nine months. His wife's like, yes, praise God. Um, um, and, and so an angel who gives us his name, Gabriel, directly from the presence of God to deliver this good news, talking to someone who was performing a once-in-a-lifetime task around the temple, that should have been a sign enough. But because it wasn't, Gabriel says, I'll give you this one. You will lose your voice until the baby is born. Now, it might have seemed like a punishment, right? It kind of seems a little harsh. But it was really the sign that he was asking for. But even more than that, this was Gabriel saying this. He was saying, Zechariah, I can see that words for you are just going to get in the way. So you just need to stay quiet for a little while and watch as God makes all this happen. This would be a chance for him to be still and know that he is God. To watch as God unfolded the events of not only his elderly wife's pregnancy, but also the miraculous pregnancy of his wife's relative, a much younger woman, a teenager named Mary, the woman who was carrying the Messiah. 
There was so much for Zechariah to watch and learn over these next several months. And words were just going to get in the way. But the time is still now with him and an angel and this announcement inside the temple. And the priests, by the way, were not supposed to be lingering inside the temple very long. If you were, that was a red flag that something had gone seriously wrong or that the priest had some sin that God had judged them for. They they had this uh, system of noise where they had bells and different things. And as they moved around the, the temple, they would be listening. And if the bells ever stopped, they'd be like, uh-oh. Looks like Joe just had a bad moment with God. Let's drag him out. And uh, But if the bells were continuing to go, it meant that Joe was still alive. Zechariah was still there. God hadn't struck him dead yet. There was no sin in his life. Okay, so what's going on? He's been in there a long time. They're getting worried. Takes us to verse 21. Outside, the people were still waiting for Zechariah and were surprised that he was staying so long in the temple. And when Zechariah came outside, he could not speak to them. And they knew that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he could only make signs to them and remained unable to speak. Now, the people had gone from praying to, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on, right? And then Zechariah comes out, and then all is well. Yay, he's alive. And you can probably feel the sigh of relief passing over the folks that were waiting on him. And then the priest comes out. He would normally come out, lift his hands, and he would speak a prayer of blessing over the people. You know, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, that kind of thing. But he comes out, and nothing, no words, no sound, no blessing. Instead, Zechariah goes into full charades mode, right? And, and can you imagine? They're like, uh, uh, angel, um, you know, baby. Um, it's like, what do you do? I mean, you can just kind of imagine the scene there. But Zechariah makes all these motions, and they eventually came to the conclusion that Zechariah at least had a vision inside the temple, which that had to be a good thing. And off they went. That's as far as we know what happens at that part of the story. But not knowing that an actual angel had appeared and had a conversation with Zechariah, or that their world was about to change And that brings us to verse 23. When his time of service at the temple was finished, he went home. Later, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. So, point taken right here. At the time in the temple, she was not pregnant yet. This happened afterwards. And this, by the way, was not a miraculous conception like Mary. Again, without the aid of a husband, in her case. This was a normal conception that required active faith between both Zechariah and Elizabeth, following what Gabriel had said. So, folks, what God wants to bring to pass, He wants to do with your active participation, our active faith. We just don't sit back and say, okay, God. I I know this is your plan, but go ahead and do it. You don't need me. No, God wants, he invites us into active participation. And it requires obedience, which is just another word of saying, walking in light of what God has said and what he has done and what he will be doing. So verse 24 again, and we'll finish the, the passage here. 
Later, Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and did not go out of her house for five months. Elizabeth said, look at what the Lord has done for me. My people were ashamed of me, but now, in these days, the Lord has shown me his favor. He has taken away that shame. Folks, I can tell you, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what others in your family, your friends, your co-workers have shamed you for, that you have been disgraced somehow, God is in the business of taking away shame. God is in the business of showing you His favor, of giving you a new start, giving you a new beginning. And what I love is that Elizabeth displays this grateful, thankful, humble heart. Not just to become a mother, but to be part of the next phase of God's plan. Are you kidding me? Because that's always why God steps into your life and removes your shame. Because he wants to invite you into his kingdom and into his plan giving you a greater purpose. Now remember, all this was happening in a world not unlike ours that was in desperate need for hope, for some good news. And and that's what the angel Gabriel came to bring. He came to bring good news. It was an announcement. It was time for going through the motions to stop. And this good news is what brings about all the kinds of potential changes in our life. So we're going to go through just three quick points here toward the end. So first of all, as we come to our first point, turn routine into places of radiance. What was routine for Zechariah? Well, obviously his priesthood, maybe being a husband, maybe how he carried himself within his home community. But this encounter turned everything that was routine into a place of radiance where God's Spirit can shine in and through, giving purpose and meaning to everything you do. So let me ask you, what are those places in your life? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it where you live? Is it church? Do you feel like you're just going through the motions on different parts of your life? Or on a different side, has there been a loss of a dream or a plan? And has it taken taken away any real hope as you look into the future? Folks, for any of these reasons, there is a risk in all of our lives for for things to simply become routine. To stop finding any value or joy or purpose or meaning beyond just survival. Or, I guess we have to, or as some kind of means to get something back in return. We can easily fall into this malaise where we simply put our lives into cruise control, and we've all been there. Where we stop thinking, we turn our brain off, we just start living in cruise control because we're tired of dealing with stuff. But this announcement, this good news, brings radiance into your routine. And where at one time the roots of hurt and woundedness and disappointment, despair and discouragement have gone deep, 
where the roots seem insurmountable, that is where the light of Christ, the hope of the good news, begins to shine, begins to grow. And what was once rocky, barren soil becomes full of life. And that takes us to our second point, so number two. This good news helps us to turn faithlessness into faithfulness. It would have been so easy for Zechariah and Elizabeth to give up, right? To stop trusting, to lose their faith, but they did not. They remained faithful in spite of their circumstances, their circumstances personally, but also the circumstances of their own people, the people of Israel, and their 400 years of waiting. And folks, even as we today, as followers of Jesus, are awaiting now for His return, for the return of the Messiah, to complete what He started, you and I, we are called as God's people to be faithful in a faithless world. As you look at the mission of the soon-to-be baby that would grow up to be John the Baptist, it reads very similar to the mission of the church. Didn't it? When you read that stuff, what John was going to do, what was that? To help bring back, to help restore many people back to the Lord God. To, to go from being faithless to being faithful. Beginning with your families, your marriages, your children, and then into your local community as it works into every single area of your life. It is a fruit of being restored back to the Lord. It is a fruit of this good news. Where folks, places where we used to be faithless, we are now faithful. Not because we have a new burst of energy or we can just do better or try harder. No. It's because of this announcement to Zechariah. The announcement that would be made to Mary and then to the shepherds in the field about the birth of a Savior. It is because we have God's kingdom presence within us, if you know Jesus, changing us from the inside out, making us a new kind of person, making us a faithful person. So folks, let me ask you, where are you struggling to be faithful today? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to refresh you and renew you today? And that brings us to our third and final point, number three. Turn hollow ground into holy ground. So many things have become hollow and empty in the shadow of their former self in the first century and in this story. But the repercussions of this announcement changed everything. Folks, Elizabeth's hollow womb became holy ground as she and Zechariah would conceive at their advanced age. Zachariah's hollow job, his ministry, became holy ground. The Roman-occupied territory of Palestine became holy ground. Wherever God is moving and wherever His people are following, it is holy ground. And holy ground does not always look the way that you were expecting or maybe even hoping. On a personal level, Zachariah and Elizabeth have been praying for a child for years. Just someone they could like maybe 
toss a ball with and have a, that one day he would have a family. But what they got was something at the end of their life, and they got a prize. Folks, holy ground is always better. On a national level, Israel had been praying for the national king and for God to come back to his physical temple. And what they got was a king of all nations and a God who lives in the temple of our hearts because holy ground is always better. Where is your place of hollow ground today? Where is it? Would you allow God to make it holy? As God begins to move and direct in your life, it may not be what you personally were hoping for or what you were expecting, but folks, holy ground is always better. I love how the passage here ends with Elizabeth. I love the fact that she did not bemoan. She didn't go, well, God, finally you showed up. Took you long enough, right? Like somehow God owed her something. No. She was grateful. She was humble. She felt blessed. She felt honored. Why? Because she knew she was on holy ground. So the question to you and I is this. Will we allow God through his spirit to turn whatever it is hollow in your life, in right now, into the holy ground he wants it to be? And then to do with it what he wants to do. That will we trust his timing to accomplish his kingdom plan in his way? First in all of us, and then second of all, through us into the lives of others. Will you do that today? Folks, we were not meant to live a life of just going through the motions. You were meant to live a life of purpose. And that purpose started with this announcement about this baby who was going to be the forerunner of the God in the manger. Would you stand? We're just going to close in prayer this morning. Father, we just come before you and we stand in awe of how you do things. We thank you, God, that you continue to surprise us. We pray, God, that you would continue to fill us with your spirit, Lord, to walk faithfully, to turn these hollow places into holy places. We just thank you, God, that you are the giver of all life who wants to redeem and take away the shame. And let us walk in the purpose that you call us to. Thank you, Lord, for John the Baptist who foreran for Jesus. And we thank you for Jesus, the God in the manger who is our Savior. In the mighty name of that name of Jesus, we pray. Have a blessed week. Have a great Thanksgiving.